Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome back, everyone. We're glad to be here again. We are talking through the series Fight the Good Fight as we consider the theme of spiritual warfare. I am joined in the studio, as always, by the world-changing, world-disrupting Mad Barfield. Hello there. And our good friend, Pastor Brandon. Hey, hey. Hi, friend. Friend. I've called you friends. All right. Um, we are talking in the second lesson about that old serpent, the devil. So we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to start off this lesson talking about the devil. He's kind of the number one uh, enemy of the believer. And then next week, we're going to be looking uh, at a lesson called the forces of evil. And that one's going to address the, the world, the flesh and demons, those who work under the devil. So that's a little bit of a breakdown of what we're going to be looking at uh, over the next couple uh, weeks. At the opening of this lesson, I start off and I say that one of the greatest dangers and war is underestimating your opponent. I found this uh, kind of an interesting example. During World War II, one top Nazi leader quipped that the Americans could, quote, only make refrigerators and razor blades. <laughs> I, I put that in quotes because that's what the article had. I imagine it was originally said in German, and yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it would have been. Yeah. But the idea was, look, they're not an industrial powerhouse. They're not going to be able to turn out the kind of weapons that are needed to actually fight in this war. The, the, they're, they're losers, basically. Uh, he was completely wrong. One article that I was reading noted that by the time the Japanese surrendered in 1945, the U.S. had fulfilled President Roosevelt's admonition to become the greatest arsenal of democracy. American manufacturers had turned out more than 96,000 bombers, 86,000 tanks, 2.4 million trucks, 6.5 million rifles, and billions of dollars worth of supplies, a little bit more than a few refrigerators and razor blades. For sure. And so as we think about Satan, we want to be... We want to be careful about the way we do this. We don't want to give him too much credit as if he's undefeatable and, you know, oh, woe is us. We'll never be able to do anything. But at, on the other hand, we don't want to underestimate him or take him as a joke or, or not think seriously about him. So um, let's start off with these questions. First, you, you can answer them in any order that you want. First of all, what tactics does Satan use when he tries to destroy people? And then secondly, what happens if we have an unhealthy fear of Satan and what happens if we ignore him? So how do we strike that balance? Well, Satan's trying to attack what God loves. So when God shows where his love is and he loves the man that he put in the garden, he loves the creation that he's ordered, Satan comes in and just tries to rip it to pieces. And we see him doing that now for millennia. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit because this is coming up later in the lesson, but just uh, the descriptions of Satan in Scripture is he, he's a liar, he's a murderer, uh, he's death, he's destruction. And uh, ultimately, he just attacks everything that is in the image of God and that that glorifies God. What happens if we have an unhealthy fear of Satan? I thought about this one because we have um, <clears throat> some interesting groups in the Middle East. We have in the country of Iraq, we have, of course, Muslims that are there, primarily Shiite. Then um, there's a lot of Christian groups, nominal Christian groups, uh, Syrian Catholics, Chaldean or Chaldean Catholics. We have a group called the Yazidis. And the Yazidis are these people that everybody kind of doesn't really understand, doesn't really like. And the thing everybody says about them is, you all worship the devil. So I'm in this, I'm in this church in North Dakota and they've got these Iraqis and in the room are Assyrian, Chaldanis, Catholic people and Yazidis. And we're having this dinner and we have some time for Q and a, and this Chaldani lady stands up and says, we think you Yazidis worship the devil. Is that true? Like just lays it out there. <laughs> are you guys worshiping Let's Satan? the elephant yeah. in the room <laughs> That's here? Right. And this guy goes, well, we don't really worship the devil. We're afraid of him. So we offer him offerings to try to keep him away. Huh? So 
when you when you ask like how do people have a unhealthy fear unhealthy thought about satan that's the first thing i thought of and i think people you know obviously that's kind of extreme i don't think anybody's putting out a little grove to satan or something in our church or even in, in our neighborhood necessarily but um i think if you overemphasize what he's doing you're you're not you're going to respond poorly you're not going to give god the credit you're going to give satan credit yeah and i think even Jumping off of something you said and wrapping back up into the last question, uh, one of the things that I noticed when I went to the Middle East was just everything was about religion. And I come back to America and nothing is about religion. And so kind of tying to those tactics a little bit, I my mind went to Romans 1 through 3 and just Paul lays out the religious people are guilty, irreligious people, they're guilty. There's There's no man righteous, no, not one. And yeah, Satan will use religion, and he used, he's used that in a lot of different places to get people distracted from the truth, and he'll use irreligion and um, wants people to think, I, I think in America, it's like, hey, spiritual things aren't real. That's that's a big predominant right. thought, except when you watch TV. People love to think about it. Mm-hmm. They love to fantasize about it, but they don't want to bow to the reality of the the spiritual warfare that is going on behind the scenes. And they kind of play with it because they think it's a, a toy. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that um, I've found in my own life is sometimes it, when we realize our spiritual warfare and, you know, that when we take a stand for Christ, we're, we're, de- we're declaring war. And when you declare war, there's, there's, you know, a counteroffensive that's launched. Right. It can, and I've wrestled with this even at times, it can make you not want to, step forward and lead or do something big and bold. Cause you look at it and you think if I do that, <clears throat> Satan's going to come after me. And you know, what if he wins? And so Matt's looking over here, very confused. Not Brandon's confused. over here sh- shaking his head. <laughs> Not confused. But, um, and I've, I've, very I've wrestled angry. with that. <laughs> I've wrestled with that because I, the reality is if, if you take the Christ talks about counting the cost, right? And so the cost is if I do this, a lot of bad things could happen in my life. Temptation, could, I could fall. What would, you know, what, it may be easier for me to just do this. But the, the counter to that is you're hiding your one talent, right? You're, yeah. you're saying, I'm scared. And so because I'm scared, I'm not going to do anything because it would be easier to not do anything uh, than to do something and to fail. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, uh, see how the master responds. He's not okay with that. God is not okay with us sitting on the sidelines right. and saying, well, I'm, I'm scared. I knew Satan was going to come after me. I was worried about the weakness of my own flesh. So I just... I didn't, I didn't step forward in, in ministry and service and leadership because I was scared. And God says, well, because, and again, it comes back to, I didn't want, I didn't want to fail you, God, right? I, I, I didn't serve you because I was afraid I would fail you. And I know that if, if I failed you, you'd be really upset. And the master there says, well, you know what kind of a man I am. You should know that I don't accept a, yeah. a lazy, dumb excuse like that. Yeah. And I think the solution there is not to have like a small view of Satan. And I don't think it's the purpose of this mm-hmm. lesson it's to have a bigger view of god yeah um and that he is greater as he that is in you than he that is in the world um and i, I think sometimes we can have that and in, let that inflated view of the war we're in and even our our opposition to kind of make us cower in fear there's a lot of what you said that just so great and and um but i do get angry at that attack mm-hmm. i really do and i feel it personally. i wish you all could have seen his face it was it was pretty fired up <laughs> i almost just stopped and ran out of the room it was, i was scared there were daggers um it's fired up but when i think biblically about this i th- i think of uh, you know there's a lot of different thoughts about job and what people always think god's saying when god speaks to job but when god talks about leviathan when god talks about behemoth he says he that made him can approach unto him so fire shooting out of his mouth. You throw a, you throw a spear at him. Nothing happens. It glances off, but the one who made him can walk right up to him. 
And mm. to me, when I see that, I think, you know, Satan's railing all over Job and, and destroying his life. And God's like, I, I can, I can deal with Satan. I have, I, he's, he's not beyond me. So if we, you're right, you know, if we think too little of God, we won't listen to what he's saying. We'll be afraid of what the devil's doing. And I think we all ought to get really sick of, of, of our own unbelief and yeah. just how bad that is in light of all God's power and goodness. And then on the other side of that coin, we ought to be really sick of living with what the devil gives us. Like, I'll go, I'll go where the devil won't attack me. Mm. You, you're okay with that? You're okay with him giving you stuff? You're okay with him drawing that? I'm mad at the Yazidis for offering Satan prizes. <laughs> I'm really mad. I'm really mad at believers who are looking at it and going, well, you know, Satan won't hit me here. How dare you? Well, I was watching Chronicles of Narnia with my kid the other day. Kids the other day. Not just one of them. The old one or the, or the new one? <laughs> His favorite. Uh, the BBC old one that looks like... No. Is, oh, not that one. Okay. No. So anyway... It's better. They, just, they just brought out the point, like, the White Witch said, he betrayed you for sweeties. Mm. And I was just like, wow, yeah. I mean, so mm. often we do just yeah. switch sides because of what Satan A offers us. A trifle. Yeah. Let's um, continue on in the lesson. We divide it into two parts. First of all, the origin of Satan. Where did he come from? Because if you can understand a little bit of where he came from, uh, then it'll help you to understand who he is. And uh, then also the strategies of Satan. What is it that he tries to do uh, to, to attack us? So the origin of Satan, uh, where did he come from? We're going to break that down into two parts. First of all, Satan's fall from heaven. And then secondly, uh, the first attack that we read about in Satan, that is in, in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Satan's fall from heaven is a little bit um, challenging. There's two passages that have historically been used by Christians to describe the fall of Satan, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Some people debate these. Um, I took it, I, I take both of them uh, as at, at least having a dual referent where it's referring to a human leader as well as to Satan behind him. There's some of the language that's used that seems to be a little bit more elevated, uh, especially in the Ezekiel 28 passage than we would normally find. And we also know that Jesus says Satan fell from heaven in Luke chapter 10. And so the question is, well, where, where do we read about that? The only place that's even been suggested as a place where we would read about that is Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. So, oh, somebody was, somebody cut in. I heard a breath, yeah. Somebody breathed. I think it's just breathing. Okay, sorry. I think we're just res respirating here. Sorry, I, oh, I had the sniffles. Oh, okay. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> well, we forgive you, Pastor Brandon. Um, he's our good friend. Indeed, um, indeed. Um, so Satan's fall from heaven, we see in Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel uh, 28. Um, it's interesting, Satan is referred to as a cherubim. So uh, let's think through, and um, you guys have read the lesson, so spoiled it a little bit, but where do we see uh, cherubim in the Old Testament? Let's, we, we are, there's no place where it says this is what a cherubim is, but um, in Ezekiel 28, he's twice called a guardian cherub or a covering cherub. So what do we see cherub do in the Old Testament? I mean, you see them on the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of protecting the divine presence almost. It's where the Shekinah glory would come yeah. and rest. Same thing in the Garden, they, Garden, yeah, of Garden, Eden, Garden of Eden. After the fall, yeah. So and then um, the only other place that I could find them was Ezekiel 10, hmm. which is the, that divine chariot that's described in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 10, it's more specific that these that these beasts that are that are making up this this chariot are cherubim. So <laughs> you, you see this uh, repeated uh, emphasis on protection, guardian, and also around the, the very presence of God himself. So if that gives us any kind of indication, this is what Satan was supposed to be. So how could such beauty, he's described as having 
uh, as being a shining one. He's described as being covered with gems, um, as being accompanied by music. How could such beauty and perfection have been twisted into such horrifying evil? And I think you can really boil it down to one word, and it's it's pride. Yeah. yeah. That comes out in both of those passages. Yeah, and I I was thinking about that in, in terms of the horrifying evil that comes from his pride uh, versus over against the amazing grace that comes through our faith. So, so Satan responds in pride to what God is. We respond in faith to what God is. Satan says, I will. Faith says he does. He's doing this. He, he has done this or he is doing this or he will do this. So we're, we're exercising faith in God. And that brings all of God's beauty to bear in the situations in which we exercise faith. So it's, it's wonderful that us creatures of clay get to be the conduits of God's great grace through faith. When you think of this great shining one who's so much bigger and stronger than us. And all he gets to be now through his pride is a, an emissary of misery. Uh, that's all he is now. And that, I love the passages that talk later about what he's going to be. And those that esteemed you, those that feared you will lightly esteem you. They're going to yeah. look at you like you're nothing. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful end. It was, you know, God shall trample Satan under your feet shortly, right? That, yeah. That's a wonderful promise. He's, he's such a big, incredible creature. And yet he's going to be so small because instead of faith, he had pride. Yeah. Well, and faith and humility, I think, are, are pretty closely tied together. Yeah. James 4, I think, really brings that out where it talks about resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do you resist the devil? Well, humble yourself so, in the sight yeah. of the Lord. Um, and Submit so, yourself to God. So you have that pride which can take something horrifying or something beautiful and turn it into something horrifying. You have humility which can take something very normal, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, unimpressive, right. and God can do incredible things with humble people. And it's just another reminder that our own humility is so important in our, our walk with the Lord. Not many mighty are called. Yeah. Yeah. Many noble. So, um, and I also think there's something about the more good something is, the more beautiful, the more excellence there is, the more horrifying it becomes when it's distorted by pride. Um, there's, there's more at stake there. And so, I wonder if for Satan, because he was so high and elevated and exalted, when he fell, it's almost like it flips and everything that was good now becomes evil and the good just becomes all the more evil as a result of it. I don't know. Yeah, he's certainly, you know, all that, he was created to do something specific and so now he he flips that. So Mm -hmm. all the ability he was given, all that huge resource of power and strength and beauty is now a resource for misery. And you look at some of the greatest evil atrocities, you know, in the, in the history of the world. And many of them are done by people who had a lot of skill. And t- I mean, yeah. you look at, you know, the classic example, who's the most evil person that we can think of. And that would right. probably be Hitler. Hitler yeah. And you look at, you know, his rhetorical ability. And I mean, it was so, you know, what the Nazis did, it, it looked on the outside so clean and pristine. And, and then you, you know, you get under the surface a little bit and, and it's just absolutely horrifying what they were trying to do. Um, and so, uh, as we as we continue going with this, though, um, we see Satan's initial attack in the garden. He tries to get Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God. I find this interesting. It took me a while to kind of realize what he's actually asking. And part of that is, I think, some of the King's English. But he comes up, and again, the King James Version says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat from every fruit of the tree, every fruit of the tree of the garden. And really what he's asking there is, wait, wait, wait. Did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Which is a ridiculous question. 
Right. And, and Satan's not an idiot. He knows that God did not say that. Right. God said you can eat from all of them yep. except for one. So why would he ask that question? I think he's trying to instill a little bit of doubt in the goodness of God, even by asking that opening question. And then he goes about and he denies outright the goodness of God or the, the punishment that God has, has offered and the goodness of God. Um, and so how does Satan do that today? How does he attempt to get believers to doubt God's goodness? And why has he been so successful in getting believers to doubt God's goodness and his warnings? Well, I think you start off just by noticing that he didn't go straight to the denial. Like mm. he, he didn't straight up deny what God said initially. He, he was very content with moving Eve from doubting all, all the way to straight up denying what God said. Um, and uh, he pre- didn't present himself as somebody who was out to hurt her. Uh, he wasn't nefarious in the way he approached her, um, and he was trying to get her to move away from the, the words and truth of God. You know, it's, it's so important when you have these great phrases that come down through history, like things that people remember, you know, I've not yet begun to fight, or mm-hmm. you know, these incredible slogans, um, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. And there's these things like they, they get lionized. And think about this. I never thought about this before at this moment, but Satan, Satan said these words to Adam and Eve, said these words to Eve. And these words have been written down for mm. as long as humans have been alive. Like we've, we know these words. Mm. And I, and I kind of thought of it before as sort of an innocuous question. Like when you say like, it's hard to imagine what Eve's processing in her innocence, right? She doesn't have, she doesn't know all this, right? right. Now, now like when you said she, I'm, she takes it as a sincere question, right? Yeah. Because what else? Oh, he, she, oh, he, he must have misheard. No, that's not what God said. Because what else can she do? Yeah, like she doesn't know his guile. She doesn't know what that is, yeah. right? She doesn't have experience with that yet, and so, so we're on this side. And and we're kind of looking at Eve. You like should it's know a, what's coming, Eve. <laughs> no, don't do I've it. I've heard this before. <laughs> right, we have. You know, I, it just strikes me at how wicked it is. Mm-hmm. How wicked Satan's words are. We've written down these words and we've we've kept them for all these millennia, and they're wicked, 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 terrible things to say. It's not close. It's not kind of. It's the worst thing he could have possibly said to her at that moment. Because if he came out and said, "I hate God." You know, I'm going to be like him. Join me. Yeah. Fight against him. She would have been like, that means nothing yeah, to me. it wasn't deceitful. Right. But he makes the worst, he says the worst possible thing. The framing. He comes in with this framing. He takes God, which is undeniably beautiful, who is undeniably beautiful, and he puts him in a nasty frame. Mm-hmm. And and that's like such a bad thing to do. Like, I mean, imagine your child, you know, your, your, your baby, you're holding this baby, and you get a picture of this beautiful baby. And then I go and I get some trash out of a trash can and I make a frame to put around that picture. I've like, seen those in museums before. <laughs> That's <laughs> called modern done. art. Yeah. Look what we've done. Oh, man. Look what we've done. We, we, ha- we have. Uh, we've gone like the devil. Well, and what's interesting is if, is if you read this carefully, what you'll realize is Satan is successful in moving her an inch. Yep. Because um, if you look carefully at what he says, and then you look carefully at what God had originally told them, and then right. you read E's quotation of it, she does three things with it. First of all, God had said, you may freely eat from all the trees, <laughs> and she drops the word freely. Right. She said, you may eat from the trees. Right. Well, that's a, that's a shift yeah. from a gracious giving God to, oh, no, he said we could eat that from these trees. That went from party to provision. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that went from like, you well, got we're all Baptist, man. We don't party. Uh, so for sure. I for understand. Sure. That went mean. from an incredible bounty yeah. to this meager, like, oh, yeah, we'll sustain your life. And then um, she drops the word, surely, you will surely die, mm-hmm. to it's just, well, you'll die. So we've, we've made the penalty. Ta- the penalty is a little lessened. bit, a little yeah. bit lessened. Um, 
in its severity. And then she adds, neither shall you touch it. Right. So um, all of those things, it's, it's slight tweaking and you kind of have to look carefully and read right. it. But what's happened is I think Satan is trying to move her along a path and we see that she's taken one or two steps down that path. Yeah. I, I, I think about that whole additional part, you know, neither shall you touch it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of warning in that for us. I, I wonder how that got introduced into her mind where mm-hmm. that came from the sheets and touch it. I could just see like, cause God spoke with Adam, right? God, was yeah. the one God so I could see Adam telling her, look, God said, don't even, the truth. look, don't even touch it. Right. Like, don't even, just don't even touch the thing. Like save us a headache. And you'd think like as parents, we think that if we add a bunch of rules, it'll make it less likely for our kids to have problems, sins, failures. Hmm. When we add to what God says, it doesn't make it less likely. It makes it more certain, hmm. right? Because we've added to what God said. We've made it, we've made it less tenable to actually exercise faith in it. We think we've guarded them. In fact, we, you cannot, you can't guard a thing more than God does. Yeah. Like, God, God hmm. didn't intend for them to have the flaming cherubim around it, around the tree at that point, right? He didn't imp- intend that to happen. He, he intended something else. And so you can't guard it more than God guards it. That's a hard thing for us to come to grips with, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the Pharisees did. Yeah. Well, here are the rules. We're going to guard them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the scripture says don't work on the Sabbath. Well, we're going to very carefully define for you what work is. And we're going to yeah. go a little bit above and beyond so that you don't accidentally and none work. of us have ever done that. No, no, no. no, no of course we no. do. And, 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 <laughs> that's, that's my point. Right, I know. And it, <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, it ought to shock us, right? right. Like, you ought to go, no, I can't do that. I, I do think, too, when you ask how do we doubt God's goodness or what does Satan do, I think what he does today is very different because we are so, we're, we're in this world that he's messed up. He's, I have to calm down. He's messed it up, right? He's done the attack. He's the one doing this. And our response to it, of course, is making it worse. But he's the one doing it. And then he says, is God really good? Yeah. <laughs> right? He, he points out the pain that he causes and then blames God for it. It's kind of like the Old Testament. I forget where it is, but at one point, um, the, the, the Jewish people are about ready to be attacked. They're, you know, And their solution is, well, yeah, it's because we just... Tore down all these high places. Right. That's right. taking off all the pagan deities. Well, <laughs> right. of course, you know, we should have torn down those high places. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. The high place, those were the problem. Right. You know, you know, tearing down the high places bought you a little bit of time. But but it, it's that same thing where, you know, something bad happens and immediately you attribute it to, oh, it must be because of this God or because I was doing right, what I was supposed right, to be doing. Right, right. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, the devil's the one who says, do this, do this, do this. And the moment you do it, he goes, oh, look what you did. I'm going to yeah. tell God about Dude, it. Dude, I hate that guy. <laughs> uh, Lord rebuke him. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I think all of what we were just talking about and kind of summarize it and working with young people for a long time, I hear this. Um, and being a human myself, I, I've thought this. Like, we want amusement. We want fun. And ultimately, Satan was trying to get Eve to think that God was holding back on her somehow mm-hmm. that, Hey, there's something else great out there that God's not giving to you. And it's that tree. Um, and then it opened the, the door to all kinds of other issues. Well, and God has created us with, with desires. And then he's told us, okay, here's the way I right. want those desires fulfilled. And I mean, you go all the way back to the garden. What was it with Eve? She had desires. The tree looked good. Probably, you know, seemed like it would taste good, that it would make her wise. Like none of those things are inherently wrong. It's, it's good to want food. It's good to like, tasty food. It's good to want to be wise. The problem was she thought she knew how to get it better than God did. And I mean, even today, it, it, and so really obedience, this is why obedience comes down to living by faith because faith says, all right, God, you know better than I do. Like, I, I feel like I really want this. I think I, you know, that being yeah. angry in this instance is going to get me what I want or enjoying this entertainment is going to bring me the pleasure that I want. 
And faith says, you know, God, you know better than I do how to fulfill these longings and these desires. So I'm going to listen to you rather than try and make my own decision, my own way to, to satisfy these cravings. And I can't help but think of James 1, which comes to my mind often. But when lust conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Mm-hmm. And then that passage proceeds, do not err, my beloved brethren. And then it reminds us every good gift yes. comes from God. Um, and then it goes on to talk about different aspects. I wish I could remember the phrasing, but it talks about God giving life right after that. And it's mm-hmm. just with um, his, of his with, own will be Gaddius of the word. Yes. Or, uh, with, yep. whom, with whom is no variableness, neither yep. shadow of turning. Like, yeah. You're getting the full light. The yeah, whole he begat uh, born birth. I mean, those words are in direct contrast to what sin brings and that's death. Yeah. Mm. So let's, um let's in our remaining time, talk about some of these strategies of Satan. So first of all, uh, not a surprise here. Satan lies, and um, you know an old per, an old comedian once made the joke: "The devil made me do it," and that kind of became popular. But the reality is, Satan does not make you do anything. I mean, there's cases of demon possession, which might be you know an exception to this, but for the most part, um, and even then, you have to open yourself up to that. But Satan can't make you rebel against God. Uh, you have to make that choice. So. If he can't make people rebel against God, how does he convince them to do it on their own accord? And he, well, the answer is he does that by lying. Jesus calls Satan a liar from the beginning and the father of lies. Revelation twelve nine says that Satan deceives the entire world. In Scripture, we see that God is a God of truth and that Satan is the father of lies. So uh, here's a couple of questions. What kind of lies does Satan tell to get believers and unbelievers to sin? Oh, man, where do you start? Just, hey, this is going to be fun. Hey, this sin isn't that big of a deal. Hey, a little bit won't hurt. Uh, um, I mean, you could you could go on and on with with those lists. And Matt's head's well, no, spinning. You're, you're, yeah, you're starting to get me going there. Thinking about the way he lies to us. I think he lies to us about our our current position and our final destination. Right? He wants us to not know where we are. He doesn't want us to know where we're going. Um, he he likes those deceptions a lot. So where are we right now? I'm on the planet Earth, underneath God's great grace. Right, he reaches me. I'm here with. He's here with me. He's not far away. Um, Satan likes to undo all of that. I, I was trying to listen to a podcast that you were talking about, Ben, about the history of revolutions. I think uh, mm-hmm. somebody recommended it to you, and I started with the Russian Revolution, and I, I, I just got so mad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this is That's coming out a lot today. in this podcast. <laughs> Lord help me. Oh my goodness! But I just got mad because they they started talking about Karl Marx, who says you're born into a world with a history that everything's lined up against you. You know, you got to fight for everything. Mm. And I'm like, what world is he talking about? Some mm. of the one that's exactly the right distance from the sun, filled with oxygen I can breathe, water I can drink, and food I can eat, all sitting there. Or, or is he talking about the reality that every single human was born through another human who for the next several years is completely designed to keep that little human alive. Like that's the opposite of the scarcity and the violence that Marx is talking about. Like it, it makes me so mad to hear God's creation impugned that way. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, so Satan wants you to get the wrong thinking about where you are. You're not in a world set up to destroy you. You're set, you're in a place where the one who's saying that is the one trying to destroy you. <laughs> and I guess I get so angry about that because it's such, it's not true. It's just not true. So he lies to you about where you are. He lies to you about where you're going. If you're on your way to hell, he tries to convince you you're fine. You know, I I hope to serve beer in hell was the name of a popular book. You see in the bookstores all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, I I hope, you know, where we're going has beer. That's fine. My friends will be there. That's fine. He's lying about all of this. Mm -hmm. Right. And we listen to the liar. It's a shame. I remember there was a, uh, an American, an elected American official once who made the comment that our generation and this official is probably about my age. Our generation has never seen prosperity in America. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
and I, I was dumbfounded. I, I just, I couldn't, it, you I know, this. had there been, had there been struggles for millennials trying to get homes and sure, all this stuff? Sure. Yeah, I, I can see some of that, but we've never seen prosperity. We've seen nothing but prosperity. I think what the person meant is they never seen scarcity. <laughs> I think that's what they meant to say. So they misread the teleprompter. Yeah. Where we're, where we are and where we're going. I think that's, I think that's good. Um, and yeah, and then also even for believers where we're going. I mean, yeah, we sure. we do not, I, I do not think frequently and accurately enough about what God has prepared for that. I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man the things which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. What God has prepared for us is unbelievable. And, and it's a driver. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's uh-huh. meant to motivate you. Yep. It's meant to be tangibly, it's meant to be as tangible as any intangible thing could be. You think of it as real because it is. You think of it as valuable because the one who made you values it. Yeah, I mean, that's the pattern God tells us to follow in Hebrews 12. Like, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so I endure right. the things that I'm facing on this earth because the joy that is set before me. Right. Yeah. Um, the next... Uh, Thing, tactic of Satan is that Satan destroys. I think we're just going to skip that. We've talked about that a little bit. Let's talk about this next one. Satan harasses. And I don't, this is one where it's hard to be specific. You, what do you mean that he harasses? Well, it's kind of vague and it, it's hard to know. We know that Satan is not omnipotent. He's not sovereign. In other words, he's not in control of everything, but we do know that he has the ability to control certain things. And uh, we see that even in Job, that there were certain things that happened um, at Satan's uh, behest. So 2 Corinthians twelve seven, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh, which he calls a messenger of Satan to buffet or to beat me. Uh, we don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was, but we know that somehow Satan was discouraging Paul. We also know 1 Thessalonians two seventeen through 18, Paul's trying to get back to Thessalonica to see the believers there. And he just says that time and again, Satan hindered him, prevented him. Again, we don't know how, we don't know what exactly this looked like. Um, I think in both instances, these specifics aren't spelled out, and at least in part, on purpose. Uh, The details may be different in every case, but we often see Satan at work trying to stop us from following God. So what does it look like when Satan is trying to frustrate us, and how should we respond to that? I think, you know, I've had a couple of things happen in the last couple of weeks where um, I'm, I'm supposed to be going out and doing some ministry. I'm supposed to be putting some things in place, and then these just incredible attacks, trials, whatever um, this slam in my face and I'm like just sitting there going, what on earth am I going to do about this? And I'm, and I'm looking at it I'm thinking about it. And in the middle of that, some believer will say, Hey, how you doing? Like I'll just see somebody. And, um, in a couple of instances, I've just laid it out. I said, well, honestly, here's what I'm dealing with. And in both instances where it's happened two completely different things, the believers have said, Oh, we've added you to our prayer list. We're praying for you right now. Hmm. And I think that intercession one for another is it absolutely changes things. It absolutely, the initial response, wow, that guy is praying for me. That guy cares about me. That guy's, um, you know, interceding, asking God for me. God hears prayers when we, when we pray for one another. So I think, you know, how should we respond? We should pray. Yeah. I, as I've been going through this series, prayer has been one of the things that I've been most convicted about as this is in a set, like, what do we do about all of this? If there's this battle going on and we can't see it and there's principalities and powers, how do we how do we fight back? Well, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You ask God for help. And I know my prayer life is not uh, what it needs to be. And this has been something that's been a rebuke to me. Like prayer does not, I forget where I saw it, but somewhere I saw, you know, that prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. Right. right. And um, 
Wasn't it Hezekiah when he was fi- facing a big army and he puts the singers out front to praise the beauty of holiness? Was that yeah, King Hezekiah I, I or was somebody was. else? But yeah, somebody and did it was that. a great army, incredible odds. Who does he put up front? Not the special forces, yeah. not the, uh, you know, the huge weapons. He puts out the singers to praise the beauty of holiness. I think that's a good example for us to lead with praise. You know, we're, we're thanking the Lord for who he is. And what did they do in the, in the jail at Philippi? Paul and Silas were, were praising. They're thanking God. I think when we praise the Lord in the midst of an attack, when we pray for one another who are being attacked, um, God hears and answers prayer, and God responds to the praise of his saints. Well, I think tying into what you just said, I read on and just meditated on what Paul said next after he said, uh, talked about that thorn in the flesh, and he, the response from Jesus is, my grace is sufficient for thee. And his response was, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. And so, yeah, even in my own life, there's been some godly desires. And I'm like, man, this is what, this is what I want. Right. And, and, and at times it's just like, okay, roadblock, roadblock, roadblock. This is what I desire yeah. to do. And I'm in moments of weakness. You do think like, is this even what I should be doing? And then you have to take a step back. Like, you know, <laughs> this is not God removing this desire from me. This is something else. Um, and Paul goes on for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, that I am strong. And the whole reason that that thing was there in Paul's life was to humble him so he wouldn't be exalted above measure. And so responding with humility and consistently bowing the knee and taking pleasure in them, realizing that God is at times putting us in our place <laughs> and making yeah. us dependent on him because I can't do anything without him. Like nothing godly am I going to accomplish on my own, John 15. Right. And that switch for Paul is so crazy because he says, for this thing, I besought the Lord three times right. that he might take it from me. And then he goes, well, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, then I'm excited about this. Right. Yeah. Like the switch, it couldn't be more dramatic. Uh, and I think that's such a great example of when faith responds to what God says. Mm-hmm. God says this. Well, that changes everything. And I think, too, the other response that I've seen in Scripture, I think we see it in First Thessalonians 2, is first of all, we pray, but then we push through. And we don't we don't quit on something because we get pushback. Um you know, Paul, they, they keep trying to go back and see the Thessalonians, and it's not working, it's not working. So what do they do? They send Timothy back. And they said, we sent Timothy back, and we were willing to be left alone. In other words, this was not what we wanted, but we had to do it. And I think that sometimes, you know, I have felt, and it, it, it's often little things, but I'm trying to figure this out, I'm trying to get this to work, and there's just, it, it seems like there's there's something that's trying to keep me from doing that. What do you do? Well, you push through. You, you keep working uh, at it, keep working towards it. Um, I remember... Uh, even, you know, I, it was a small thing, but I went to um, uh, Lebanon this summer to teach and getting out there was crazy. You know, we're getting packed up, finishing up, getting ready to head out to the airport. And I get a call or I get a message that my flight's been delayed and now I'm getting in at two o'clock on Sunday morning instead of, you know, at like six o'clock on Friday night. And so that begins, you know, call after call and calling people and running around, literally running from one side of the London airport to the other. Uh, was it London? No, I think it was Paris. Uh, one side of the airport to the other. Um, and, and part of it was, you know, praying the whole time, but also thinking like, okay, this really does feel like there's some kind of pushback here. I'm going to push through this. I'm not just going to give up. And that's, that's, I think, the example that we see with Paul and Timothy is they said, we're not going to give up. All right, if we can't all go, then Timothy will go. We're, we're going to do this. And I know uh, when I was on a mission trip once, we, we went over there and, man, it, it start, they started literally riding in the streets as we're trying to build this church. And so the plan was to work on this church for two weeks. We ended up working for three days, and most of the team had to go back. And uh, one of the things a missionary said to us, because we were all pretty discouraged, is he said, guys, I just want you to know this is what missions work is like. 
is you make plans, you prepare, you do stuff, and then Satan just sends an attack, and it all goes up in smoke. He said, this is why a lot of a, a lot of missionaries don't make it past one term, is because there's all of these frustrations. I don't know, you, you've done more with missions, Matt. You could probably speak to that more than I can. Oh, it's uh, there's a lot of stories to tell. I, I, there's a book title that keeps coming into my mind, and I uh, don't agree with everything about the book, but one of the things that the book says is the obstacle is the way. And I think a lot of times people see the obstacle is the is the finish line. Like mm-hmm. the obstacles come, so I'm done. Like that's I tried this, didn't work out. Okay, I got something else. No, no, that's the path. <laughs> that's the path that you take to the top of the mountain. That's the path you take to victory, um, or when those things come at you. And and um, surely our faith can be more robust. We can stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. You know, we can actually win. We can actually make the stand against adversity. I think Christians, um, we ought to love our Lord's appearing. I can't wait to see him. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. But we not ought to be the kind of people that fold and say, oh, this is just, I just wish I weren't here anymore. It's just so bad. Uh, I mean, you can long for heaven and home. That's all good. But, mm-hmm. but don't think you weren't made for this because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. All right. Yeah, I remember telling somebody that we were having another child and their response was, Oh, not into this <laughs> evil world. And I was like, uh, I don't even know what to say right now. <laughs> like, yes, we are thankful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need another soldier. Yeah, <laughs> have more children, people. <laughs> we got a we got a war to fight. And on that note, we will go ahead and wrap things up. Um, we will be coming back again next week and talking about the world, the flesh, and the demonic forces under Satan's control. You can find these lessons on our website at colonialindie.org. And just go to the resources tab and click on Fight the Good Fight. Thank you, uh, everyone who's joined us, and we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya. Bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.